Well, it's a joy um, uh, for me to uh, be with you um, this morning, and um, I know many of you, but many of you I have not met, and again, it's just great to, to be here, so thank you. I uh, have to say it's kind of strange to be here and not have Rick and Molly um, and their kids um, here as well, um, but I'm so thankful um, that they get to have a, a summer vacation, an extended summer vacation, um, and it really is a mark uh, to the maturity and stability of this church um, that Rick and Molly can take three Sundays away. Um, I don't take that lightly, actually. It says a lot about you all. So uh, thank you for giving that gift uh, to your pastor. And of course, um, that's a gift that you will receive benefits from. Um, I know what it's like to get a long summer break and the renewal and refreshment that brings. So um, uh, praise God uh, for that. And I pray that Rick and Molly and their kids are having a, a great time. Uh, years ago when I was in high school, um, I was involved with a group called Young Life. Uh, many of you may be familiar with Young Life, a Christian organization, works with high school students, encourages high school students to um, follow Christ and to grow in Him. Um, I grew up in the church. I knew Bible stories. I had, you know, sort of learned the, the story of the scriptures in the church I grew up in. But it was really in Young Life that I first got the experience of actually like looking at the Bible and studying it and being part of group Bible studies. And I really enjoyed those. Um, but there was one thing actually that was always kind of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, something I didn't quite as much enjoy about those Bible studies, is that we would often study scriptures like the one in our gospel reading today. Um, Young Life loved looking at scriptures of people doing evangelism, of going out and proclaiming Christ and telling about Christ to others. And when we looked at those passages, I always had this feeling, and I, maybe I'm not the only one, of sort of like, man, I wish this wasn't in here. Like, the Bible would be so great if it just didn't have this evangelism stuff in here. And I'd feel both anxiety as I would read it, but I'd also feel guilt because I'd think, okay, this is what, like, real Christians do. Like, this is basically, like, the most committed Christians, they go out into places where they don't know anybody, they stay in strangers' homes, they go and proclaim Christ and stand on street corners and share about him. That's sort of the, the, what I should be doing. And meanwhile, I was feeling guilty about how hard it was to just talk to my best friend about Jesus, let alone strangers. Of course, I later learned it's a lot easier to talk to strangers about Jesus, actually, than talk to your best friend. Um, I've now preached on street corners. It's not actually that hard uh, to preach on a street corner. Um, but at the time, I was very intimidated and, again, had this sense of, like, I just wish this wasn't here. Now, in one sense, of course, I wasn't reading this scripture rightly in the sense that I don't think this is an um, exact blueprint of this is what evangelism has to look like only, right? That if you are really committed, then you have to go to a neighboring uh, village. You can't even bring a knapsack with you. You can't bring any money, um, and you have to preach you know, on the street corners and in the town square. Right? I don't think that's the only way um, to do evangelism or even the best way, perhaps, in our culture. So in that sense, I think I was misreading the passage, but another way, I think I was reading it right, and that I do think this is telling us this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, that actually to be a follower of Christ is to be one who is sent. That's part of our identity as disciples of Christ, is that we are sent once. We are sent to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. Right? We're sent into our families, we're sent into our workplace, we're sent into our friendships, right? and sometimes we're sent into different cultures and different places. Sometimes we are sent to preach on the street, and sometimes we're sent to slowly build relationship with a neighbor over years and years, looking for opportunities and taking the chance through our words and through our actions to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And so I think we can look at this and say, what does it look like to be a sent one? Right? Maybe some of the specifics are going to look different in our context, but there are a lot of things here that apply to being a sent one today. 
So I want to think with you about a few of those. One, is though, one of them is that we are sent in dependence, right? Not independence. Um, it was the 4th of July, but in dependence, in dependency, right? That, that to be sent is actually to experience a level of dependency, right? One, a, a dependency on one another. We need each other as we live this out. And actually, surprisingly, we see in this passage that there's an element in which Jesus needs the disciples. He needs the 72, I know it makes us a little nervous maybe to think about Jesus needing anything, right? I mean, Jesus is Lord um, and Savior. Um, but of course, in his ministries, we see it in the Gospels. He was limited, right? I mean, he could only be in one place at one time. Um, he would get tired. And we actually see a beautiful thing about the ministry of Jesus is how individualized his ministry was. When he prayed for someone for healing, he would often talk to them and have extended conversation with them. Well, that limited his time. And so look at this in verse 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. Right? And so they're kind of doing a little bit of a John the Baptist kind of prepare the way of the Lord thing here. Right? They're going into the towns, preparing them, right? getting things ready, beginning the ministry of Jesus that Jesus is going to come to. Right? And you may remember in the Gospels, we also have at times where the 12 are sent out. This is actually the only record we have the 72 being sent out. But again, we see a pattern where Jesus is partnering with the disciples in his ministry. Yes, he's sending them out for their good, but he's sending them out for the work. Um, and so there's a level of dependency that he has, and then they're dependent on one another. He sends them out in twos. And again, if you're familiar with passages like this, maybe you've just gotten used to that. Oh yeah, they always go out in twos, but that's really important. I mean, actually, it's striking how difficult he makes this mission for them, right? I mean, he says you can't bring a knapsack, you can't bring money, but you can go with someone else. He could have just said, okay, I'm going to make this really hard and you have to go out by yourself, right? But no, he wants them actually to be dependent on one another. I believe he wants them to work in partnership. And we all know that living out that identity of being a sent one, of looking for opportunities and living out opportunities to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, we need help. Right? We need one another in this. We need to do it together. I just imagine those disciples, you know, getting closer to the village and getting nervous and being like, okay, are we going to find this person of peace? And like, who's going to do the sandal thing if they reject us? Are you going to do it? You know, and they, they're kind of working together like, we can do this. You know, like, come on, we can do it. You know, God's going to provide, right? We're going to see God act. We need that. Uh, years ago, uh, Church of the Cross had its first uh, youth missions um, trip. It was really our first missions trip at all. Um, a group of our youth, actually our first uh, youth confirmation class, went to New Orleans. And it was a year or two after Hurricane Katrina. There was lots of work to be doing. Lots of church groups were going down there. We were working with an organization um, that was uh, doing a lot of work with houses. And so we did a lot of, you know, um, tearing houses apart, actually, that could be rebuilt that had uh, suffered from the flooding. But on the last day of this trip, after a week of doing all sorts of manual labor, um, this group that we were with brought us to the French Quarter, and they put us into groups of twos, and they said, okay, for our final day, you guys are going to go out into the French Quarter, and you need to just have conversations with people about Jesus. So basically, like my worst nightmare when I was in Young Life, like what I dreaded to do, they were like, now you're going to do it, okay? And so they sent us out, and I was paired up with one of our youth um, named Willis Dickinson. Some of you may uh, know Willis. Um, and uh, Willis is a little more quiet, um, introverted, as uh, I actually am too. And so we're walking out you know, into the French Quarter thinking, okay, we just have to have a conversation with someone about Jesus. I'm thinking, okay, he's the youth. This is a youth trip. I could say to him, look, you're the youth. You have to do it. Uh, which I was very tempted to do, but I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Um, and so we're walking around, so I'm like, all right, you know, like, let's do it, right, Willis? We can do this, okay? We can do it. I don't know. We probably prayed and walked around for 20 minutes. Finally, we saw a guy sitting on a bench. We went up to him, 
said, hey, we're from a church. Uh, we're just getting to know New Orleans. What can you tell us about the city? Ended up talking to him for quite a while. Said, hey, we're from a church. What's, you, what's your views about God? Um, ended up having a conversation about faith um, that was energizing for us. And I think it was for him, actually. I think some things stirred up for him in our conversation. But I can tell you, if it had just been me by myself, I would have been much more tempted to right, just get a cup of coffee and a beignet you know, and hide away uh, somewhere and pretend that I tried to talk to strangers and no one wanted to talk to me. I, I, I needed the help of Willis at that moment, right? and we need that. And so as we think about our identity as sent ones, right, how, how do we help one another in that? Right? How do we encourage one another? Right? But of course, there's dependency on each other, but even more importantly, even more clear in this passage, we see there's a dependency on the Lord, right? that Jesus is sending them out in a place where they have to be dependent, and of course they do, right? Because what's the message that they're proclaiming? That the kingdom of God has come near you. Basically, that God is here to help. God's salvation is at work. When you call upon God, he answers. And so if that's the message that they're sending, that God is active, God helps, then it makes sense that they would need to demonstrate the truth of that message in the nature of their mission, right? That, that going out in dependency, I mean, how else are they going to heal the sick unless the Lord works through them, right? Right there we see you have to be dependent. And so it may seem a little almost cruel of Jesus to say you can't bring a money bag, you can't bring a knapsack, no sandals, right? But I think what Jesus is doing is, look, I'm putting you in this place of dependency where you're walking into this village. You don't know anyone. God's got to provide a place for you to even stay, right? He doesn't say, all right, let's figure out, you know, who knows people in the different villages and we'll send you there. No, he wants them to experience that because in experiencing that, I believe that just empowered then their message of the kingdom as God is near. We're living in that reality right now of the, the fact that the Lord is at work, right? And what's the first thing that they do? The, they pray, right? He says to them, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, one says we can read this and we can say, well, they're their own prayer. They're the answer to their own prayer, right? They're praying for laborers and they are laborers going out into the harvest. But also what they're praying for at that moment is they're praying for a, in a sense, successful mission, right? Because the people that they reach, the people that they share this message of the kingdom of God is near, when those folks embrace that message, when they put their faith in Christ, they become laborers. Right? They become the sent ones. And so when we pray for laborers, you know, I think we often think of missionaries and, and you know, Christian, full-time Christian ministry folks, which is good. We need to pray for those and church planters. It's a big prayer for Molly and I. But we're also praying for more people just to come to know Christ because the more that know Christ, the more laborers they are. Right? Basically, to be a follower of Christ is to be a laborer. So right from the beginning, they are going out in a place of dependency. Lord, we need you to provide more laborers, and the way it's going to happen is through people embracing this message, to them receiving the truth that the kingdom of God truly is near. Right? I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Right? When we feel at times like it's hard to, to live as a sent one, it's hard to live as a representative of Christ. Well, yeah, I mean, Jesus said he was sending them out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's really hard, and that's why we need his help. Right? That's why we have to go in dependency. And so again, as we embrace this identity as a sent one, how are the ways that we perhaps need to grow in dependency? How often do we try to do it in our own power? How often do we try to do it with sort of our skills alone? When actually the Lord wants us to realize we don't have the skills to do it, right? We can't do it in our own power. We need to be dependent. And we, so we see they are sent out in dependency. Um, uh, secondly, they are sent out with authority, 
right? And you see that very clearly, that there is an authority that the Lord gives them, right? We see that in the power of their words, right? When you say to, you know, um, uh, whatever house, verse 5, you enter, first say, peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, right? I'm actually, you know, deputizing you. I'm giving you authority that when you say peace be on this house, your peace actually, the peace will be on that house because they are empowered by the Lord. And they're also empowered in judgment, right? It's pretty sobering to consider. But when they basically knock the dust off of their sandals, that's showing a, a answering that the, the village will have to make, the people will have to make to the Lord. Right? They're representing him. He's given them authority. And again, that's implied um, in the directions he gives them. But then you hear it very clearly then in verse uh, 16, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me, right? I'm giving you such authority. I'm making you such my representatives that when you're rejected, actually they're rejecting me. And when you're listened to, they're actually listening to me. And maybe the temptation is to read that and say, well, yeah, but that's, you know, the 72, whoever they were. And so they were given a lot of responsibility and authority, but that doesn't really apply to us. Well, what are some of the names that the Lord gives to the church? The family of God or most awe-inspiring in my mind, the body of Christ. I mean, that's pretty representative, isn't it? That the church would be the body of Christ, that we would be the family, the children of God. We're given authority. We are sent as those with authority. I think there's a way in which we should embrace this and we should feel the heaviness of it. Right? We should really feel like, oh my goodness, like I am called as a follower of Christ, or right? I'm called as a Christian to actually represent Christ. Right? That's a heavy calling. Right? I mean, that's a really huge that I'm called to represent him, that I'm called to um, have authority. Right? When I pray in Jesus' name, right, there should be an element of, that's not just a nice way to end a prayer, that I'm actually saying, under, as I'm under the authority of Jesus, I can ask for things in his authority. I can ask for things as his representative, as a member of the church. And so there's a heaviness in that, but there's also a lightness in that. Because we can say, ah, it's not really about me. It's about who I represent. It's, there's a freedom in saying, oh, actually, I'm doing this as a representative of Christ. Right? I can be rejected because it's not actually me who's being rejected. Jesus is being rejected. Not that that's a good thing, but he's used to it. Right? We can say, all right, okay, I, I just do what I can do. Right? I mean, again, even I think about them knocking the, the dust off of their sandals. In a sense, they're saying, we're leaving you to God. You're going to have to answer to him. Right? We're just his representatives. Right? We're not actually called to judge, but we point to the one who judges. We're called to represent him, and we have an authority that he's been given. The way I often think about sort of this heaviness, well, alongside this lightness, is that it's, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we should take our calling really seriously. And too often, I do the opposite. I take myself very seriously, and I don't take my calling serious enough. Right? It is a serious thing to be called to be a husband. It's a serious thing to be called to be a dad. It's a serious thing to be called to be a priest, right? And we're all called to be priests. I'm called to the office of priesthood um, in the church, but all of us have a priestly calling. Those are heavy things, right? But we, we're fallible humans, right? And we don't need to take ourselves too seriously. And again, when I feel rejected, I take myself so seriously. And again, too often I don't take the calling, the office, the, the authority that I've been given, I don't take that seriously enough. I uh, recently uh, reread 
I think it's the third or fourth time, um, the novel Paralandra by uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, I actually don't like, in general, rereading novels because I feel like there's so many good novels out there. How can I reread one when there's so many more good ones to read? Um, but C.S. Lewis has a couple that I just keep coming back to again and again. And if you've read Paralandra um, or Till We Have Faces or some of his others, um, uh, you, you know what that's like. Um, but in uh, Paralandra, um, and actually it's a three-book series, um, uh, his science fiction, his space trilogy, um, there's a character named Ransom, uh, who um, in the book Paralandra is actually called to something very difficult, um, called to a very difficult task. And part of him sort of embracing this calling and accepting this calling is he basically has to learn, again, the seriousness of the calling, but not to take himself too serious, right? There's times where it's almost like he has an overblown sense of self, and the Lord sort of corrects him in that. And yet, at the same time, he has a very important thing that he's called to do, um, and he does it in obedience. And near the end of the book, there's this moment where these two angels are looking at him. It takes place on the uh, planet of Venus, by the way. It's, if you read it, it all makes sense. Um, uh, but anyway, um, they're looking at him and talking about him. Um, and it's, I'm going to read this quote, but it's important to note, um, uh, in the space language that's used in the book, um, Jesus is called Maladil. Um, that's the name that's used um, for God, uh, but in particular for Jesus. And so these two angels looking at Ransom, you know, this human, and one of them hadn't really seen a human before, um, uh, one says to the other, look on him, beloved, and love him. He is indeed but breathing dust, and a careless touch would unmake him. And in his best thoughts, there are such things, such things mingled as, if we thought them, our light would perish. But he is in the body of Maladil, and his sins are forgiven." I just, I love that. It's like he is so, you know, light. I mean, he's, he, you know, he's, he's dust and he's so thin, sinful and yet his sins are forgiven and he has the same body that Christ has. Right? It's an amazing thing of angels amazed. Like, wow, you have the same body, a human body that our Lord um, has, uh, the, the same human body. So again, we can take ourselves not too seriously, but we can take our calling and the authority we're given in Christ very seriously. The final thing I would mention that we see then at the end, um, uh, look at the joy um, that they experience. And I want to say that we are sent as children, right? That part of our sending is that we go out as children and we can experience the joy of children, right? When children accomplish something, when they do something that their father or their mother asked them to do and they do it and they come back and they have this great joy, we see a similar type of joy for the disciples, for the 72. Lord, even the demons... Subject to, are subject to us in your name, right? And they have so much excitement, and maybe you've experienced that before, when you've s- stepped out in faith in some way, when you've experienced that being a sent one in some way, and you know that sense of, hey, God used me, right? I stepped out in faith, and I actually experienced something that was beyond my power. A few years ago, uh, we, Molly and I were going to a party at one of our um, neighbor's uh, house, and it was a uh, opportunity, which we don't get a lot of, of being with a big group of folks, most of whom were not church uh, people at all. Um, and before I went to that party, I prayed a prayer, and I should pray this all the time. I don't pray it enough. But I was led to pray before that party. I just prayed, Lord, I'd love to have a conversation with someone tonight about you, right? About things of the kingdom, about faith, right? You know, help me see maybe an opportunity. Help me maybe to ask a good question of somebody. And so we uh, went to this party, and I was talking to a friend of one of um, our neighbors who I'd met a couple times before, and he said to me, he's like, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am a pastor. He said, well, we've talked a few times before, and you've like, never like, talked to me about religion before. 
um, he was basically confronting me for not preaching at him. <laughs> it's, ne- it's never happened. It's the only time it's happened to me. So I was like, why didn't you preach at me? You're the pastor. You're supposed to do that. And I said something like, well, you know, people tend to get kind of nervous when they talk to pastors. And so I try not to preach at people the first time I meet them. And, and I said, but I'll preach at you. You know, like, tell them, give me the word. I'll do it. And he was like, well, you know, I have these times, like, I think it was God at work in my life. I don't know, was this God or not? And we ended up talking, actually, for a long time about it. And I realized, here's a guy who was a periodic churchgoer, believed in God, but I realized he just didn't have many opportunities to actually talk about the Lord with people. In the church context that he was in, they just didn't do that much. And he was hungry for it. And again, that was such a clear sense of like, wow, Lord, I didn't even have to try. Like, someone came to me, confronting me, actually, for not talking to them about Jesus. And there was such joy, I felt. I was like, wow, like, this is, you really answered this prayer so clearly. I, I, I put myself in a place of dependence, and what a response I saw. Now, maybe when you read this, you think, well, they're so joyful, and then Jesus kind of shoots them down a little bit, right? The final verse, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? Why does Jesus correct them? Well, I think it's because, yes, there is joy in obeying the Lord and experiencing his work, Right? But the greater joy, where our joy should be rooted, again, is not in what we've done, not in our ministry success, not in being successful sent ones, but in who we are, right? that we are children, that through Christ our names are written in heaven. That's our primary joy. Right? It's out of that primary joy that we belong to the Lord, right? that our names are written in heaven for all eternity, that then we can live out being sent ones. Right, because when we sort of live out being sent ones, like, I hope this works, you know, I gotta please God, I gotta, oh man, what if I fail? Then it's destructive. But when we live out, man, my joy is who I am in the Lord. It's okay if I fail. We just finished up a couple weeks ago. Church across our um, vacation Bible school. It's a, we call it um, Kids Can. It's kind of about creativity and it has a lot of focus on the arts. And um, each um, day of uh, Kids Can, we have someone come in um, and share of sort of about um, their creativity and how they use creativity in their work or in their hobbies. Um, and the first day of Kids Can, a guy came in who builds airplanes um, and shared about building airplanes. Um, now, it was kind of unfortunate that he was the first person to share because he was so cool that after that, no one else was as cool um, as Andrew uh, who builds planes. All the kids were like, this is the job I want to build airplanes. Um, but he was talking about how intricate the work was and how hard the work was and how careful he had to be. Um, and one of the kids asked him, well, do you ever mess up? And I'll never forget, he looked at me, he's like, yeah. It's like, I mess up a lot. He showed us like a wing that he had made. He's like, he's like it took me like a hundred times before I got this right. And I was just so thankful. I was like, oh, I'm so thankful these children are hearing that. Right? To be creative, to uh, be a representative of our Lord, to be a sent one, is to mess up a lot. Right? But then he told them, you know, but the final plane, it can't be messed up. Right? By the time we give it to someone to fly, like, then you can't have any mistakes. Right? <laughs> that's not okay. Right? And in the same way, right? the kingdom that's coming is a perfect kingdom. Right? The Lord is a perfect Lord. Right? But imperfect people are used by him. Right? We are sent by him. And so we have a freedom knowing we're being used to proclaim a perfect kingdom, even in our imperfection. Let's pray. Father, I do pray um, that we would know this identity as, as sent ones, not as a burden, Lord, but as a joy. Um, that even as we at times feel like we are being sent as lambs among wolves, um, that we would do so knowing that the, the news that you are, Lord, um, and that we can have our names written in heaven is good news. I pray for each one of us, give us opportunities to share that, Lord, through our actions, through our words. Lord, may we proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And we do pray, Lord, come.
Come bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.